0: get ready it looks like uh you guys are on the today show i was like what that can't be true pick a market or a product or a brand that you really like that you're really passionate about i think that it's succeeded is because we've been so over the top and ridiculous that's always what we've tried to do is entertain first and sell second
1: If you don't mind, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us about your company and where you're located today. I'm Chris White.
0: I'm the CEO and co-founder of Shinesty. We are an online retailer for all things crazy, wild, fun, obnoxious out there, depending on your perspective. We sell apparel and accessories for any sort of theme party, event, music festival, really any time that you're socializing and having basically good times with good people in your life. So we call that event-driven commerce. And that's where we sit.
1: Have you gone to music
0: festivals? I have gone to music festivals, yeah, yeah. Probably too many, actually. I should I should probably cut back a little bit. So you don't do drug tests at the company? <laughs> Plead the fifth on that one. Well, you know, I mean, we are in Colorado, so. Right, oh People yes. can actively practice their state's rights if they choose to do so, yeah. Well, nicely done.
1: So yeah, you said you're in Colorado. We're in Colorado. We're in Boulder, Colorado. Did you ever think about being a lawyer before?
0: Yeah, you know, I went to law school in, right after I graduated from college. And I had a little bit of a different college experience. I like worked my way through school. So like I was actually probably making more money in school than I still am today. Uh, <laughs> hopefully that changes at some point in my life. But so I feel like I had a pretty decent work experience as an undergraduate student. I was like working full time all four years of school. I went to grad school. I, I basically knew that if I didn't go to grad school or right after I graduated from college, I may never go back. And I've always liked learning and interested in law and I was more interested in business, but I was interested in really just like learning a little bit about everything. As a generalist, I went to a liberal arts school. So I thought going to law school and going to business school and being able to flex more analytical muscles might be nice. I would find it interesting. And, and I did find it really interesting for the first few years, at least until we started
1: Dynasty, and then. It kind of tapered off there a little bit, I would say. At what point did you realize you didn't want to be a law school guy?
0: It wasn't that I didn't want to be a law school guy. There's plenty of people go to law school and don't practice law. But I realized that I didn't want to be a lawyer. It's actually funny when you go to law school and you're interested in business, you kind of get funneled into this like transactional law path, which is contracts and it's doing deals and M&A type stuff, which sounds really cool from a business. On the business side, that is really cool. On the legal side, at least for me and my personality, it just was not a good fit because it's a little more... Heads down, it's a little more introspective in terms of the actual day to day work, a lot of reading and not as much talking to people, not as much of the deal side on the business side of things. I think if I would have actually been, if I would have taken a different path in law school, maybe towards more of the trial law stuff. So like the litigation, which I didn't take a class in that until my very last semester and I actually loved it. I might have had a different path, who knows? But being that I was funneled kind of into this business, transactional law kind of path, it became something that I wasn't, I never really got passionate about the same way I got passionate about some other stuff.
1: Can you talk briefly, touch about your company, but can you tell us about like what you sell so people get a better idea? Yeah, so we sell anything, it's
0: product for events, right? So we consider that to be event enhancing products. So that could be anything from a really loud, obnoxious American flag suit, for 4th of July to a denim Speedo for the lake to really huge 80s style oversized sunglasses to Christmas sweaters to women's one-piece bathing suits with bald eagles on the <laughs> screen printed on the chest. Really, anything that's loud, it's meant to get attention, it's meant to enhance your
1: social life. So, Stuff you wouldn't think a lawyer would wear, basically. Right?
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's a bit of a stretch probably for a lawyer to wear any of this stuff
1: <laughs> and how big is the company today and what are you doing in sales
0: we have about 35 employees and we're a private company so we don't say what our sales are you can find them out if you want to look online at least you could find out last year mtv published last year's but you know we're growing really fast we're growing over 100 year over year so fast growth company i think we've been around for almost three years now and we have about 35 employees growing really fast.
1: Speaking of MTV, what's the connection there? So we
0: filmed a reality television show. Actually, let me rephrase that. We filmed a docu-comedy series. <laughs> yeah. That's what I say when I'm trying to impress people. We, we filmed a docu- I, I'm impressed now. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So we filmed a docu-comedy series for MTV. We had a producer reach out to us and was like, wow, you have a really interesting company. It's very weird which is true. It is a very weird company. He's like, I had to interact with a couple of your employees. They're very weird. (laughs) I'm talking to you now. You sound very weird. It sounds like it might make excellent television. And I was like, well, that sounds weird. I don't know, but I guess I'm in. (laughs) And we filmed like a pilot episode last year and then they sold it to MTV. MTV bought it. So I have six episodes that are airing currently on MTV and MTV2 at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Central.
1: On Thursdays? Thursday nights. Yep. Yeah, no, I was looking at it right here, so make sure you tune in. Yeah. Well, yeah, why don't, why don't you tell us about, from law school, how you ended up in
0: Yeah, sure. It actually goes back to the area of interest and where it comes from. It goes back to my undergrad days. When I was in school, I had an interesting home life. I basically had become financially independent of my parents at a pretty young age after I graduated from high school. The only way you can really make enough money to pay for school these days is by selling things. If you're a relatively... Uneducated 18 year old, I started selling things. I sold everything. I sold vacation packages. I sold kitchen knives. I traveled around the country and sold kitchen knives at state fairs. I sold one of the things that I did really well with was I worked for this company out of Cleveland that produced screen printed apparel, accessories, promotional items for any business or any organization. And I sold them to fraternities and sororities all over the Indiana area. And when I was doing that, I got really good at basically understanding that if I made took a t shirt for let's say a fraternity's party that they had asked me to make, I took that t shirt and I injected a little comedy or a little like sexual innuendo or some ridiculous like self-deprecating piece of humor into the design that I would sell five hundred instead of one hundred. And since I worked strictly on commission, I got good at doing that. So that I could make more money. I had always had kind of like that interest in event-driven apparel. DePaul also is an interesting school. There's not really a lot to do there because it's in the middle of cornfield.
1: And it's in Indiana, like it's you were saying. In
0: Indiana, yeah, yeah. There's not a ton to do. It's not exactly uh, New York City. There's a lot of parties. People party a lot. It's, it's funny, when I was in school, actually, DePaul would end up like on the top 10 list party schools all, all the time, which is like kind of crazy. It's 3,000 students. It's not a big school, but it was everyone partied together. It had a great social scene and tons and tons like any college tons and tons of theme parties and by the time I graduated I had a massive collection full of ridiculous Ronald McDonald costumes and all sorts of shit that I'd collected over the years and I went to grad school I was like all right my life's gonna get serious now I kind of gave it all away it was like I'm done with this life now thinking in my brain at the time oh you know I think probably People don't party anymore once you get out of college, (laughs)
1: Right, yeah.
0: And I I quickly realized how foolish that was because now I I noticed that all my friends had jobs and so they could all afford to go to Burning Man and go to Mardi Gras in New Orleans and go to Boston or St. Patrick's Day and NFL games and do all the stuff, the events that we wanted to do in college but we didn't have enough money for. But now we didn't have time to shop at thrift shops and go on Etsy and go on eBay and find really cool, unique vintage products to put together these ridiculous over-the-top outfits. <laughs> when I was, I, you know, I, I gave that all away, started law school, started business school. And when I was in school, I got a piece of advice that was basically like, I was interested in entrepreneurship. I took that kind of path during the MBA program at CU. And I got a piece of advice or I heard at a talk or something where someone was like, hey, if you really want to be successful, instead of just like solving a problem that really doesn't mean anything to you, do something where what you're really good at crosses over with what you really love. And that stuck with me because I'd seen a lot of my friends start companies where it's like, oh, I have, uh, <laughs> I can code and I'm going to write this app about the weather and give it to people. Right. And I'm like, well, you don't even like the weather. You have no interest in the weather. And like, yeah, I know, but it's a market opportunity. Right. And I saw the level of passion just wasn't there. And so that piece of advice really stuck with me. And for me, what I was really good at was kind of this sarcastic snarky branding and this like kind of over the top self deprecating sarcastic humor. And what I really loved was events and parties and going to music festivals and meeting people and socializing and all those like social aspects of life. And so it was kind of an absurd idea. But Jen's, who's my co-founder and I were like, hey, you know, what? let's see if we can take, we did the whole business school thing where you, you know, you look at the size of the market and you do all that. And we, we looked at the market and we were like, you know, the market for events or costumes, as you call it, you know, you probably wouldn't look at China sea and say it's a costume company, but it, we do fulfill like that same need. It's just skinned differently. But we looked at that market and we were like, you know, there's Party City, there's Spencer's, there's... These companies have been around for a really long time and they're really big. They're like billion dollar companies. I mean, Party City's been publicly traded. I think they do like one and a half billion dollars in sales a year. But those companies really have never innovated around brand or content or they've never really done anything outside of creating really awesome supply chains, which they have really awesome like physical retail locations, which they have, but they were all doing kind of optimization and efficiency type things where in our opinions, if you're doing that and you're competing on supply chain price and physical retail locations and efficiency, you're competing against Amazon. And if you compete against Amazon, you're likely to lose. That's a tough pill to swallow. When we looked at it, we were like, man, no, how come no one has ever created a really cool brand around this and a place where people can go to have a curated experience and it's not getting a shitty plastic costume out of a plastic bag from some store that pops up in your town two weeks before Halloween and is gone the next week (laughs) with your money and your credit card number, right? Like we wanted to create something that was, that reminded us of the good times with our friends, right? And reminded us of all the fun and sarcastic and laughs and all that we would had in our lives. That was kind of the idea. It was like, Hey, let's see if we can create a brand based around humor and based around like satire and sarcasm and do that in this event commerce is what we call it, event-driven commerce space. And so that was kind of how the idea came about. Becoming a patron was something that I was always like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I was delaying it for whatever reason. And the other day I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. And, uh, and that's it. So I'm very happy with it.
1: Nice. Well, thank you for joining. So was there anything holding you back?
0: It was just uh, taking the time to do it.
1: Gotcha. Well, thank you for taking the time to do it. So um, where are you located?
0: here in bolivia in south america
1: cool well i think you're our first patreon member from south america so thanks for that again and um i don't know if you just saw i just upped the group calls from once a month to twice a month so i think that's actually where probably you'll get the most value of the membership personally doing the group calls you guys get to actually you know ask our past guests questions and i'm just there to facilitate it hopefully that helped i feel like i came at least a little bit more helpful at the end there
0: no, I, I do. I think it helps. And like I said, it's like going to see a psychiatrist talking about your problems in life. You're like, we're talking with you about our <laughs> problems in business and startups. So, I mean, when we vocalize it, and we talk something else will enter our brains and, and we're like, OK,
1: yeah, there it is. Nice. Well, I appreciate it, Dr. Rock. And you're talking about looking at the market. I think that was pretty smart. Was there any more to it other than looking at Spencer's and, say, Party City and trying to get an idea if this is worthy? And then can you tell us the first couple of days about starting the company? It's funny because like being in Boulder, Boulder is like a ton of startups, but majority
0: of them, at least in our network, there's a lot of natural foods too. But in our networks, we're in software. I worked for a software company in the first two years of grad school, which is an awesome experience, but it's a totally different B2B software. It's a totally different proposition, different product. Just didn't really interest me. I had a cool job, really cool company, a company called Sangrid who's probably going to go public, I'd imagine pretty soon. And they're a big company now. And I learned a ton, but the product itself just wasn't fascinating to me. It's funny when you tell people in Boulder and my network, which is mostly software again, about what we were doing, they're like, you're going to do what? That's a tiny market. So when we did the research, we're like, actually, it's not a tiny market. It's like a pretty big market. And if you start to add up sports licensing and you start to add up Christmas and you start to add up music festivals and you start to add up all of the social events in people's lives, it's like a huge, huge market convincing people of that was a difficult thing to do because it's just such a retail is just not a big industry in Boulder or in Colorado really in general. So there weren't a lot of people who really understood what we were trying to do at the beginning.
1: Tell us about your co-founder and how y'all was able to start it. Did you save up enough money? Did you get office space on day one? No. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Actually, so the way we started it was we didn't have any money. So we had a little savings. I think we started with like $10,000 or so, but we... The way we started it, because it costs money to make a product, right? We don't consider ourselves a product company, right? We consider ourselves a lifestyle retailer. When we wanted to start the company, we wanted to test a lot of different types of product category at once. And actually, that's tough because you have to have money to buy inventory. So for us, the way we did that was we actually tested it only exclusively
1: with vintage clothing. And what do you mean by vintage clothing? So people know. I mean,
0: like stuff from the Goodwill, stuff from estate sales, and people die, it's in their closets stuff that you'd find on, it was mostly from estate sales in Colorado and from like thrift shops. We would go around and since I was already kind of good at that from doing it in college, I knew how to do that. I enjoyed doing that. That was the way that we started the company because we were able to buy, instead of buying 50 of one product, like you'd have to, to hit minimums for inventory or 500 of product. in, In some cases, we could buy one of a lot of different product categories. And so I could see like, oh, is there a difference in conversion rate or how fast do these products sell? If us do windbreaker sell compared to ski jackets compared to ski onesies compared to ski bibs, right? As a ski collection, that information could inform could then inform an actual purchasing decision that we knew would sell, so we wouldn't be sitting on inventory, so we could have really fast inventory turns at the beginning. And so after we did that, that was literally the first I forget maybe like the first five months.
1: Were you still in your home? Y'all were doing that. Them-
0: Yeah, yeah. We had rented a garage. One of my friends, I was still in the JD MBA program at CU at the time. I think I still had like a year and a half left. He had a house that had a garage and the garage was empty. And so we ran the garage room for like 150 bucks a month and we would have all the product in there. And then when we need to take pictures, we would have to take all the product out to set up the photography equipment then set it back up after, at the end of the photo shoot.
1: When you're doing that, did you have your own website at that point? Cause it sounds like maybe you could be good at this. at selling on eBay, but then how about make an actual brand about it? How are you thinking differently than that?
0: Yeah, we did have our own website and yeah, we had the website from the beginning and that was important to us. Yeah. I I could of course make some money selling on eBay, but you don't get, you're not doing yourself any favors in terms of building a brand, which was always the most important thing for us. We might sell clothing. Now we might sell some being a completely Different vertical in, in five years because it's not about the product that we sell. It's about like the overall experience and our ability to curate products for you to enhance the social events in your life.
1: And it makes sense. But I'm just trying to think like, how were you able to get traffic to your website? I'm just thinking like in the beginning, even if you wanted the easiest thing, if you quote unquote build a bin on eBay first and then do a website, but how were you able to sell that stuff off your website right away?
0: Yeah, a lot of it was with social media and just like being super hacky with Instagram. We just hacked Instagram. We'd write a script that would follow people. And then, you know, a certain percentage of those people will follow you back and you're posting content that hopefully is enjoyable. And hopefully those people stick around. and. That was the beginning is all free right you're just hacking it. We built in like a little viral loop into an email sign up, so someone signed up for an email. If they get three other people to the website then we'd give them something right like a koozie or a small gift
1: these are the really smart things that i like to hear about whenever you're ever starting a company because if you didn't do that any instagram or that maybe you're not taking off like you are maybe i, I don't know but i think there's a really little smart thing so when you're doing the instagram was that just because you have so many developer buddies or were you able to come up with that to write the script yeah it was some uh, like i have a ton of people in soft in the software world here who okay. helped me. yeah so was there anything else in those early days that really helped too
0: Those were the two biggest things before we even launched the website. We had maybe a thousand people signed up for an email list who, and that was just based off of a splash page that we put together and saying, Hey, sign up. We'll let you know when we launch. And it was just ridiculous Pictures. At the end of the day, everything that's the, those are the tactics. But the reason why I think that it's succeeded is because we've been so over the top and ridiculous the whole time through every aspect of the brand. And that's why people are like, what the fuck is this? Like, is this real? (laughs) These guys are absurd.
1: Okay. So yeah, those two tactics I think are really smart, obviously, to get out the gate. So tell us about the expansion from there, from the garage and maybe you and your buddy.
0: Yeah. From there, we... I forget how much we were I mean, we were shipping every day, but it wasn't a ton of stuff. And doing vintage is... Time intensive, obviously, right? Like you can only sell one product. They're cool. I still love vintage products and I vintage shop all the time, but it's tough to do like it's tough to run a business that way. Just constant, constant work. From there, we went out and tried to source other small brands. And so we looked for brands that either weren't in the U.S. or brands that maybe were marketed to a completely different category of customer. So like, for example, we found, I grew up in Oklahoma. I knew a lot of like the Western retailers had been into Western shops all the time and I knew the Western brands, which is kind of weird, but there's a couple who are in, uh, local to Denver. And those brands sell to like an older cowboy type gentleman, but they make product that actually is very applicable to a someone who's between the ages of 18 and 30 and goes to music festivals, right? Like loud, wild shirts and American flag printed product. And so we'd take those products from them. We'd buy it from them wholesale and we would rebrand them, take different pictures, write copy about them in a way that appealed to our audience and resell them. The exact same product and
1: mm-hmm. you name it that old ask them to alter it at all or anything? Nope,
0: exact same product. And we still do that to this day, right? Like it's, we're bringing together something that you're never going to shop, but I'm guessing unless you're a cowboy. I don't know if you are. But you probably <laughs> not a cowboy.
1: I'm a festival guy.
0: You probably don't shop at Drysdale's Western Outfitter. I love that place. Yeah. <laughs> but there's product there that is applicable to you. It's just, it's not sold to you. So you would never put two and two together. But if we take that same product and just photograph it and picture it in a different light, it all of a sudden becomes attractive to you as a festival goer. Cause you're like, Oh, I love loud, bright clothing and bright cool shirts for music festivals and whatnot that was one of the strategies that we did and we started to play around in the beginning of November we started to play around with of 2014 we started to play around with Facebook ads for the first time they were really ridiculous we would just write ridiculous stuff it's copy that's ridiculous it's pictures that are ridiculous We were spending like nothing, like ten dollars a day or something on Facebook ads, but it was cool. We messed around with targeting, and we could target interests, and we got pretty technical with the way that we did it. And because the content was just so different than what people were doing on Facebook, at least the most apparel companies were doing, especially on Facebook, where most people were showing like good-looking models and it's high-end photography and high-end products. We were showing good-looking models and high-end photography and high-end products, but with a product that's just fucking ridiculous and in, in your face this is like a christmas print suit that's printed on with christmas christmas sweater it's just ridiculous looking but it's so funny and the humor makes people want to share it we'd pay ten dollars but we would get five thousand dollars worth of reach because people were sharing it so much and this was in 2014 facebook had started to like crack down on like the organ like now you post something on facebook organically it'll get even if you have a million fans it'll get seen by like a hundred unless you pay to promote this was a little earlier since 2014, and they hadn't, it was still, they had started to do that, but it wasn't, it was easier for something to go viral on Facebook.
1: And that's actually how I found out about y'all when I used to get on Facebook. It was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause people would tag, hey, yeah, awesome. You, this looks like your material or, yeah, yeah. yeah. In your closet. Okay. So when did you move out of the garage? And it sounds like you told us about when you're able to get your first stuff from the Western place or whatever. Just tell us about moving out of the garage and how you're able to do that and maybe hiring the next employee. Mm, let's see. When was that? It was probably like, September of 2014,
0: which is really kind of when we consider, okay, we're going to go for this. This isn't like a five hour week type thing. We're months before that we were really like testing it with vintage and it wasn't full-time by any means. In fact, Jen's actually, and I didn't start, didn't stop our, It was still a side hustle for us until May of twenty fifteen when I graduated from school and he quit his real job. But we're making enough money selling vintage clothing that we could afford to get a small warehouse. And so we found this like small warehouse in the outskirts of the town had no power. (laughs) No way, no power. It barely had like barely had power. Like we'd blow circuits all the time. It had it was dry storage for another company. and This woman had like a thousand square feet or eight hundred square feet left over. Was it your grandma? It was not not related to me. But she basically became my grandma. Yvonne. Yeah. She was amazing. It had no power. It had no running water. So we had port bodies. potties Eventually, at first we didn't even have port bodies potties And it had like no heat or AC, which in some places in Boulder it's not a problem really in the summer, but in the winter it can be a pretty big issue as you can imagine because it snows quite a bit. That was like our first place we could afford it so we moved into that took 800 square feet and eventually we ended up taking that whole warehouse over which was like six thousand square feet at first we only had this one small slice of it we hired michelle she's our first employee she kind of we called her like director of operations but she basically did every like a little bit of everything everything from shipping boxes to helping with inventory to operations everything you can imagine yeah 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 that was we hired her in september and that's really kind of when we consider, okay, this is when we're like starting the business. Like, we're going for it now.
1: Would y'all go there every day and just work and bring your computers or how was the work life with the three of y'all?
0: We pretty much actually only stayed there to ship boxes. It was not a pleasant place. <laughs> yeah,
1: not, not a place you want to show your mom. No, <laughs> no, it's not
0: a pleasant place to be. So it had like really bad lighting and, you know, no heat, no AC. So it's not a place you hang out in and work. So we would work out of like Jen's on Jen's front porch at his house which is like in downtown Boulder at the time. When we needed to ship boxes, we'd of course go over there and ship, but we would work still at of Jen's house.
1: How were you able to grow from there when, when it was just of you?
0: We started experimenting with Facebook ads and like what you described happened a lot where someone tagged someone else and someone else tagged someone because they thought it was really funny. That's always what we've tried to do is entertain first and sell second. In our opinion, maybe this is the long term strategy and maybe this works, maybe it doesn't. I could be wrong here, but that's what we're putting our money on is that if we can entertain people, make people laugh, even if they don't want to buy something now, they'll eventually have a need in their life to get something, whether that be for a gift or a bachelor party or a holiday or whatever it is. Eventually they'll need something for an event. And hopefully when they do, we've entertained them enough to where we're top of mind. We started experimenting with Facebook ads because it was kind of like the first time we had really done that. It it really got a ton of just viral growth organically. I think some media started picking up on it and finding about it. And so we had some small blogs write about us really without our knowledge. And then we had a couple more blogs and then a bigger comedy blog. And then the orders were like really picking up around Cyber Monday. And then on Cyber Monday, I was like, on my way home from, I went to Thanksgiving at my girlfriend's house and I was flying home. I got a text message from my mom. She was like, hey, Chris, you might want to get ready. It looks like uh, you guys are on the Today Show. I was like, what? That can't be true. My mom's a very nice woman, but sometimes she's mistaken, I think. <laughs> she wasn't mistaken, though, actually, this time. She <laughs> she was right. When I got off the plane, like I had a tons of missed calls and voicemails from reporters and people who were like, hey, we saw you trying to stay on the Today Show. We'd love to do an interview, blah, blah, blah. And so Al Roker had like shown the website on the Today Show for a couple of minutes online. Once he did that, things really just went crazy from there. We sold out of everything in like two hours. And we oversold everything because we were still doing inventory and Excel sheet. That crashed, obviously, because we couldn't keep up with it.
1: Yeah, tell us more about that. what you know, and what was Al Roker's? Because he lost all that weight. Is he just looking for new suits, or maybe that, that's a good theory?
0: I've never thought of it that way, but that's definitely a possibility. Maybe I'm gonna go with that. You know, I'm gonna tell that story. We don't know. Still to this day, we actually don't know. He's and he's worn suits like three times now on air. And the Today Show has done a lot. Like they've worn the Patriots ones that we had after the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and they've done Halloween ones and al roker's won a couple of christmas ones but we still don't know we've never talked to al and i don't know why
1: <laughs> well, he's a good friend now even if
0: he doesn't know it right yeah yeah he's a good friend of us Sure. someone uh once actually last year we sent him a suit and he ended up wearing a different one that his wife had just bought for him they <laughs> are like oh okay
1: tell us about the that crashing when you, if you're keeping everything in sale, just talk about that for a little bit if you don't mind
0: well yeah you know like you're used to doing like a couple of orders a day and all of a sudden, it's like, holy shit, we're doing a couple of orders a minute. Holy shit, we're doing a couple of orders a second. And then you're like, it wasn't that our site crashed. It was just that our inventory couldn't keep up with it. We're on Shopify, so we never have to worry about our site crashing. But our inventory system, we're just keeping it in Excel, and we couldn't keep up with that. Obviously, we're like all. I remember we were all in my in my house, in my room, sitting on my desk, looking at each other, like, holy shit, this is awesome. It keeps coming and keeps coming. We're like, holy shit, we might want to check on our inventory. And then we're like, holy shit, we'll be oversold by like three or four X of what we had. And we had like maybe a 1,000 or 1,500 units total of inventory. We sold all of it immediately. Maybe with 2,500, something like that. We sold all of it like immediately. And then we had to call back hundreds and hundreds of people, probably thousands of people all in and tell them, hey, you know, that really cool product christmas sweater or christmas suit or christmas underwear that we had at the time you know that thing you thought you were getting yeah you're actually not getting it and most people were cool but you know you have your people who are like this is the end of the world (laughs) Fucking christmas sweater (laughs) and yeah i mean that was kind of how it happened we had my girlfriend's mom flew in to help us like pack boxes i was still in school at the time so like i had law school finals for those of you who aren't in law school your grades in law school are 100 determined by the final there's no grades until the very end, and then it's all the final. So your girlfriend's mom? No, I was Jen's and one of our other marketing guys. They're going to LA to meet Snapchat.
1: But we... we are talking about law school finals. Yeah, that 100% of your... Yeah, so I imagine obviously your mind's 100% focused on that, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of pressure, right? You're, it's like 100% of your grade. I tried, and I called, and I was like, Hey, guys, can I get an extension? They're like, No. Oh. Unless you have a medical exemption, I was like, I'm maybe about to go mentally insane. Does that count? Yeah. I did end up like getting the flu really bad and having like 104 degree temperature and having to go to the hospital. That so was like staying up 24 hours a day for like a week there. That was wild. It was fun. And it like taught us a lot about, wow, like maybe what we're doing with by combining humor with products that are, to be honest, they're like seasonal products and they're novelty products. But combining humor with that, like, it, it really does make people's lives better and make people have more fun at these events. If They can be silly and be ridiculous and be outrageous. It was like, oh, we're on something here. Like, that was a good problem to have. And I went home for Christmas. Uh, my brother had just graduated from college. And I was like, hey, Nick, we need someone just to pack boxes for us if we want to do that job. And so he... It's funny. He like studied computer science in college and he's now our developer, but he, at the time, like didn't have a job. So he just graduated and he was like, ah, I haven't started looking yet. And I'm like, well, you want to move to Colorado? It's cooler than Tulsa. And he's like, yeah, why not? So he moved out and there we hired this guy named Smooches. If you look at our website, you can see him. He's all over. He's the redheaded guy and he does a lot of our content. He had just graduated from school as well. And he kind of swindled us into giving him an internship. I met him at a bar and he was like, I know, should I see I followed it, blah, blah, blah. He's a really funny kid. And so he was like, you know, I have this other internship lined up in San Francisco. Turned out he didn't have that at all. But we gave him an internship and then we gave him a full-time job, probably a month because he was doing so well. That's the beginning story. That's the origin.
1: From there, I said, I guess it was for y'all, you moved into an office and it just been deja vu since. Has there been anything negative that's happened? Any down experiences? No, totally, totally. I mean, like it's not all roses. Tell us about your biggest challenge in growing because mainly we're talking to entrepreneurs and hopefully they're pulling some ideas from what you've done, but totally, any challenges that you've had in growing the company?
0: Yeah, you know, actually the first year, like we were pretty fortunate. We had all up growth every, and really our biggest problem, really the first two years was just like running out of inventory and not being able to like have enough cash to buy enough inventory because we'd have these really viral product spikes, which we still do have issues with that, but we're better at predicting. That's a problem, but it's a pretty good problem to have. Okay, we sold too much. There are definitely down things. And we've had months where, for example, last September, or last October, rather, before the election, we were like, holy shit, what happened? We'd never had a down month. We've only had 100% growth months. And all of a sudden, like that month, we had a, did not have a good month. And we were like, man, like, what? this is crazy. If this continues, like, we're screwed. We like, you know, bought a bunch of inventory for the holidays. And it didn't, obviously, but that stuff is scary. For sure. It's definitely one of the worst feelings. Could you figure out why? Yeah. I mean, we think it had a lot to do, like we've talked to a lot of other companies that sell products and I think it had a lot to do just with the digital ad space was really crowded because of the election with all the media companies were buying up pretty much all of that space and prices are really expensive and we couldn't get a lot of distribution through any paid channels. We only had our organic channels to rely on acquiring new customers at a rate that allows you to sustain 100% year of your growth is really tough without putting some money into advertisements. It was just a, it's literally a, the next day after the election ended, it was night, completely different environment online,
1: at least. So that makes sense. So basically you're just saying any of the ads that you normally had bought, you just couldn't afford just because the election exactly. all the people on there. All right. Just want to make sure we're clear. On yep. that. And so what's the best advice you have for any of the entrepreneurs who are listening?
0: If we're talking about for like entrepreneurs who are just starting my best piece of advice is pick a market or a product or a brand that you really like that you're really passionate about. Cause it's obviously hard. You work a lot of hours, you don't get paid very much, but if you are working on something you love, makes it super easy because you like get up, you go to bed, you're thinking about it, you get up, you're thinking about it. It doesn't feel like work. Some people, my friends that are outside of the company are like, man, how do you work so much? This is ridiculous. It's unhealthy, but it's not unhealthy for me because I really do love it. I have an amazing time. At, yeah, there's grunt work and there's times when you're like, you know, but for the most part, I, on the whole, I love every day and I just have a blast because I'm working in an industry that I like, I'm working on a brand that I love and I'm working with people that feel the same way. That's like would be my number one piece of advice if I'm qualified to give advice. I'm not sure I am. But I worked at this other company that I worked at, Singrid was an awesome company. Incredible learning experience for me. I learned a ton about technology. I got to watch it grow from, I think it was around 50 when I started and like 200 when I left that is an awesome thing in and of itself. And I had an awesome job, awesome boss, awesome coworkers, awesome culture. But at the end of the day, the product, it was email infrastructure and the product for some people, they loved it. But for me, just my personality and the things that I like in my personal life, it, it wasn't what got me super excited. And so I, I could never, I don't think I could work on a product or on a brand or in a market that I wasn't excited about and work now that I've experienced it worked at to the same level of passion and as hard as I've worked on this.
1: I think that makes sense, right? If you didn't have that job, then maybe you wouldn't appreciate the one you have so much as of now. Yeah. Because I had a similar experience when I graduated college. I had to do a, um, basically a temp job for a month where you'd literally clock in and clock out and like go on Google for a month and I'm just, this sucks. You know, so then when you look back, you're like, okay, if you're busting your butt now, it's not a big deal because it could be way worse. You're doing something you don't like at all.
0: Yeah. I mean, like think about it. like, I've never once, a lot of my friends kind of have those jobs where, it's Monday through Friday, they clock in they clock out there. They're living for the weekend. And that's couldn't be further from the opposite of what i do it's not because we do work in a fun space like parties and events and stuff but i'm not the one doing that that's the content team i'm just working in something that i love i never look at the clock i never that stuff just doesn't even cross my mind because i like what i'm doing and i think that's really important i think if you find what you like and what you love your chances of being successful are way way, way higher
1: well i thought it was a lot more intimate than i thought it was going to be like anyone who's thinking about doing it you'll be able to, to get involved ask a question you know which I don't have a lot of experience with other group calls, but I would assume that there's kind of a hierarchy to it. But this one, if you're in there, you're going to get your shot to ask an expert uh, question. So I tried to compare my group calls. I started joining random entrepreneur groups and just joining their group calls and try to see what they're like. Dude, the one you were on and all of them have kind of gone that way. They're all 10x better than any other group I've been in because become a member to find out. No, I appreciate you sharing that because that's the reason we're doing this podcast, So Those entrepreneurs who are listening, it might be lonely like because you don't have... Most of us, if we're entrepreneurs, we have those exact type of friends who are 9 to 5 who bitch about what they do, right? And then you're just like, you can't relate if you're building your own company and working more than 9 to 5. Yeah. What's your day-to-day
0: like now? It really has like shifted a lot. It changes like every six months, to be honest. At the very beginning, I was doing a lot of creative and content design and stuff like that. Then I hired Allie, who's our creative director, who's much better than me at design and much better than me at UX and the, some of the things that I was doing on, on that. So I handed that off to her. And Smooches got better than me at writing copy and better than me. And, and that's actually one of the most fulfilling parts about my job is like seeing those people really excel to levels that I could not myself and really like watching them grow up and become incredible individual talents. And then from there, I, I did lots of our operations and was kind of helping Michelle run all of that and the finance side of things and then Adam I hired Adam as our VP of Ops and Finance and he took over a lot of that for me six months ago I was doing a lot of fundraising so we raised some money and that took up a lot of my time now uh, I was doing just recently I was doing a lot of product a lot of inventory a lot of merchandising but I've now hired a VP of merchandising with way more experience and who can take that to the next level so I kind of like that aspect of it being a generalist you get to touch a lot of things and then what I really do my real what I consider my real job is keeping people happy and recruiting more awesome people to join us as we hire as we're hiring people those are my two jobs like maintaining the culture and selling the vision to people whether that be new hires or investors or partners that's kind of my main responsibility
1: has that been a challenge because i find a lot of entrepreneurs as well whenever you know you're going from being the creative guys some people don't want to eventually be the guy who's managing happiness or trying to make everything work together has that been a challenge for you ever yeah yeah i mean it definitely has at
0: times you know, you just get over it. I can't think I was trying to think, was there a specific example I could point to to teach a lesson? But not there's not really. You just do what you have to do. Cause at the end of the day, like what you really care about is seeing the business succeed and see so you do what's best for the business. And right now, that's the best role for me in the business and the way that I can make it most
1: successful. Thank you for sharing your advice. Do you have anything else that you want to share with anyone before we leave? MTV
0: two, 7 PM Thursdays. 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. The show, you can watch it. That would be helpful for our ratings. Uh, (laughs) Otherwise, no, nothing else. If anyone has any questions who's listening, they can email me. If you're a salesman and you email me, I'm going to put you through absolute hell. I'm building this application as a side project called the B2C. and What that is, is it's a reverse drip campaign. And it's a reverse drip campaign so that when abusive salespeople who email me six times in a row without me responding. I'm going to, it It works. It's a piece of software where I f- any Gmail user can forward that to the software and the software will then send them an automated message back saying, hey, I noticed that you've been emailing me without knowing anything about my business, trying to sell me something. Would you like to shop on shinec.com? Maybe I'll send you a calendar invite and it's a computer that does that. So you can check that out, b2b2c.io. Sign up for the waitlist. It should be coming out soon. It's free for all
1: B2C companies. b2c.io. B2B2C.io. All right. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. And yeah. You said people could reach out if it's not a salesperson. What's the best way?
0: Yeah. You can email me at chris at com. Cool. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, man. Happy right. to. Peace. Bye.
1: Are you looking for more product based interviews? Well, don't worry, mother effer. I got you here's five awesome suggestions just for you. Try episode 135 with Jim Kalb of Optifuse or an old favorite, episode 24 with Starfire Direct. Another one, try episode 127. That's 127 with Doug Booten, the founder of Halo Top Ice Cream, which I'm sure you've seen in your local supermarket. Another oldie but goodie, episode 34 with Don DiCostenza. A pedigo electric bikes and last but not least the touching story in episode 98 with ann head and hey while you're exploring our awesome back catalog of episodes why don't you consider becoming a patreon member we've got secret patreon episodes in the product industry like patreon episode number 29 where i interviewed the founder of fatheads or patreon episode 3 where i talked with rick martinez about succeeding in the cannabis industry. Just check your notes below on how to get these secret episodes right now.